podcast where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by Catherine Franco. Uh, Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, I'm excited to have a conversation with you, and I'm excited to showcase your journey. For everyone listening in, I want you to know a little bit about Catherine. Catherine Franco is an attorney who is the owner of the law office of Catherine D. Franco, serving the greater Los Angeles and San Diego area. She was born and raised in Los Angeles to immigrant parents from El Salvador. She is a first-generation college graduate from the University of California, Irvine, and Western State College of Law. She has dedicated her career to serving the community she came from and strives to provide quality representation to all her clients. Follow her on Instagram for updates on immigration at kfrancolaw. Uh, Catherine, what inspired you to become an attorney? Really my family. Um, like you mentioned, my family all immigrated from El Salvador during the early 80s when the Civil War was going on in El Salvador. My dad in particular was fleeing death threats um, and persecution in El Salvador. So there wasn't really an option of whether you stayed or, you know, it was life or death, really. You mm -hmm. stayed or, or you fled. Um, and they just inspired me so much. My, my mom, my dad, and my three sisters came here. My sisters were about 11 or 12 years old when they came here. And unfortunately, they were all around the same age. They were only a year apart from each other. Um, and they all graduated high school around the same time. And they couldn't, my dad couldn't afford to put them through college because they still didn't have legal status at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, on the other hand, had the privilege of being born here mm -hmm. and having access to federal financial aid, right? And it would have been just a for me not to take advantage of that and pursue a professional career and I feel like in our families it's either like you're going to become a doctor or, or an attorney right and mm -hmm. my sister really wanted me to become a doctor but I can't stand to look at blood so mm -hmm. I really wanted to become an attorney really to help our immigrant community yes wow um, that is an inspiring uh, story and, uh, and and background with um, your your parents and the sacrifice they made to 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 come here, and then even um, even I, I sense a your gratitude, your gratitude for being born here and the opportunities you had because you were born here, and then uh, feeling a sense of um, of of responsibility to move forward and uh, maximize your educational experience to become uh, an attorney. I, I I love hearing stories like that. Yes, definitely. Um, my sisters were a great inspiration and my father as well. My father always told me, right, your education is the key to the world, right? And that's something that no one can ever take away from you. And to this day, that lives true, right? There's been instances in my life where I felt like I lost everything, but nobody could take away my education. And that was something that I was always able to fall back on. And my sisters, you know, um, and although they were not able to go to college right after high school, they still pursued their degrees as adults, working full-time jobs and also going to online school, 
having children, having families. And now all of my three sisters, I'm so proud of them, have BA degrees. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it was always something that my, my father instilled in us and my mother as well, um, that education is the only thing that we have that is can really not be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. I love that. You said education is the key to the world. I think that that's a book title right there. I love that. I love that notion. And I love seeing the, hearing about the success of your family. I think there's, there's stories of endurance, resilience, and perseverance, even as you describe your sisters, although it, they didn't have the opportunity to do it right after um, high school, but to still um, keep that vision in mind and to see, um, you, you know, all of you, all of um, your, 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 your dad's, all of the, the children um, to, to, be, to get that, that education. I think that's a beautiful, powerful thing. Of course. Now, what do you enjoy most about being an attorney? Really, um, I'm an immigration attorney because it's very close to home, of course. Um, And the best part of being an attorney in immigration is giving back to the community that I came from, right? Um, Educating our community. Unfortunately, our community um, is is very uh, very humble community. Our immigrant community is a very humble community. We come from our or my client base really comes from countries where they don't they come to the United States, don't speak the language, don't know the culture, right? Um, my my father and my mother alone, they are an example. My mother, her the grade level that she went to or finished was third grade. Mm-hmm. You know, my father only finished fifth grade. Um, so they come from very humble backgrounds. And then they're thrown into this system, this immigration system that is very complex, right? Even tax law and immigration law are the most complex um, types of immigration or types of law in the United States, Mm -hmm. right? And they're thrown into this system that they have no way of navigating. Everything has to be in English, right? There are some translators provided at times, not all the time. Um, but they have to learn how to navigate this very complex system. And, you know, it's very rewarding when I'm able to communicate with my clients in their language, right? I look like them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have the background, you know, I've been to El Salvador many times and they always um, are impressed that I, you know, that or, or are happy, right, that they can relate to me in that way that they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know where I come from, right? Mm-hmm. You know where I, where I come from, you speak my language. So to be able to help our community, our community and educate them in that way, is just something that I, it's just so rewarding, you know, I'm, it, it's, it's a, a fulfilling, a fulfilling job that I have. And I, I love my job, I come home happy, right? The fact that I can help clients, I do a lot of detained work as well, or removal based work. And being able to bond a client out of a detention center and having them celebrate the holidays with their family, or having them walk out of an immigration detention center with their green card, like, Mm -hmm. you change people's lives for generations. Mm, I love that. Changing people's lives for generations. I think uh, I, I, another word that stood out from what you were describing is fulfilled. It's fulfilling. You know, you come home happy. I think those, and, and probably every time I, I, I interview a Latina immigration attorney, there is some extra like passion that you, you all carry with you with what you do. And, and I think a, a consistent theme has been 
um, there you are are fulfilled, you are satisfied, and you and you really can un- understand and and see the impact that you're making um holistically. And I and I love the visual you gave of generations. Yeah, it's not you're not just helping one person, but then you're helping their family, and then you're helping their family, which helps you know again for generations to come. So I just love see I love interacting with people who are having that kind of impact. Right. Right. I don't think you realize that impact. I don't think I realized it till one time I, I, I was able to win a case for a family. And sometimes our clients um, maybe don't really understand what just happened, right? When I'm like, the, ju- the, the judge just said, you know, you're, you're going to be a resident, right? And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, muchas gracias, abogada, right? Thank you, attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't realize the impact. And it was interesting for one client, um, his son, I think he realized <laughs> the impact more than my client. And mm-hmm. he just broke down in tears and was like, thank you so much, you know, that I was able to keep this family together. He was going through, his son was actually going through a lot of, um, trauma at the time because because he was afraid that his father was going to be deported mm. right um, and their family was going to be torn apart and you know and being able to stay in the united states and pursue all the dreams that he wanted to pursue right this this child he was 15 you know he knew the impact and to have that type of impact in people's lives and for generations to come is is priceless really yes and even I remember working in, in the corporate world and, you know, they, they would give us so many different um, tools or resources or perspectives of like, how do you help your, your people stay motivated? And I remember they would talk about helping to see the impact they're making. Like I, I, at the time I, I worked for five years as a, as a call center supervisor. So I was supervising people who were taking phone calls and it was very, um, it was very repetitive work. So keeping them motivated was, you know, a, an ongoing challenge. And I'm bringing this up because um, what they were tr- trying to help us to help our people with was to help them to see how, how they're contributing to making um, to, to the positive impact of society, the positive impact of culture. And it's a, it's, it was a difficult thing to do um, in that space. But I think w- I could totally understand how you as an immigration attorney are perpetually motivated because of the impact you're making on a on an ongoing basis you're able to say you know like each move i make it, this extra research or this studying some of the the nuances of the law um you stay motivated because you understand how it changes and impacts lives definitely and i feel like i keep that at the forefront when i'm representing clients right um because just that little research or just that little extra time that i spent preparing for trial right, can really make a difference um, in their in their case. And I may not be able to win all the cases, right? That's a, kind of like a hard reality I had to face when I was fresh out of law school and sure. practicing. Um, because, you know, you wanna, you wanna come out of law school and just like help everybody, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna help everybody, I'm gonna get everybody papeles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to come to a hard realization that that was not something that I could do, right? Like. Um, the laws are the laws. And a lot of the times they're not favorable to our immigrant community. So I wasn't able to help everybody, but in the least I was able to put on a good case um, for everybody. And that was something that I learned from my first um, supervising attorney, right? She's like, you're not gonna be able to win all your cases, Catherine. Um, Because I was very sad my first year, right? 
I was like, how could the, you know, how could this happen to this client? Um, they're such a good person. They're so hardworking and the judge doesn't see it. They just want to deport them. But it was because the law was the law and it was stacked up against them. Right. Mm. Um, but my job was to put on, even when I knew the law was not on their side, even when I knew that that wasn't the case, I walked in thinking I'm going to put on the best case possible for this client and um, highlight you know, the, the best qualities of this person um, or this non-citizen to this judge and to the government attorney to put on the best appeal that we can in the future. And in the interim, hopefully there's a change in law or hopefully, you know, their circumstances change where they maybe marry a, a citizen or something. And my job was to buy them time and not just mm. buy them time, but good time where, you um, there was something to appeal, right? There was something that there was a mistake that the judge made or something. Mm -hmm. um, but if I just went in and was like, oh, well, this is a loser case. I can't do anything about it, right? Um, then they would not have a chance for an appeal. They would at, at least they wouldn't have a good appeal. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I learned my first year out of, out of law school, right? In my first year of practicing. Yes, yes. I think there's a lesson there for everyone, you know, all of the podcast listeners as we're tuning in and seeing, hearing this, this portion of the story, there's something about even when you can't have the total victory, but what victory, what small victories do you, can you even obtain even from, from one perspective, it looks like a loss because you don't get the whole, you know, whole victory, but there's, there's so many like lessons and um, little tiny victories that you can even obtain even from going through a sense of a loss or even of, of a failure. And that's what I'm sensing from your story there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one thing that I always try to tell my clients as well. Like, you know, lo último que se pierde es la esperanza, right? The last thing that you lose is your hope, right? Mm -hmm. And that word hope to me is so near and dear to my heart because it's my mother's name. Um, but I think that is definitely the last thing right? That goes like, don't ever lose hope in your own, in your case, right? Or in your circumstances, because I always tell them, like, maybe we may not have won this case mm -hmm. now, but don't lose hope, right? There might be a change, you know, there's a lot of positive changes coming in with this new administration. Mm -hmm. um, we're very hopeful in the immigrant com or the immigration community right now that there is going to be a lot of positive change for our community. Um, and if that happens, you know, there's all these cases that we can reopen, right, um, that we can bring back into court that were lost during the Trump administration. So there's always changes going on. And that's one thing that I always tell my clients, don't ever lose hope because mm. there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. I love that. Never lose hope. And I, and I think that's another word that I, I think hey, comes to me when I when I'm when I'm been interviewing attorneys again the immigration attorneys there's passion that comes through and there's hope you know there's something about you you, you are or when you're talking about giving hope to families um giving hope to individuals giving hope to you know, the, the immigrant community um and i think uh, it's one of my favorite qualities as i listen to you or listen to other immigration attorneys is that that's a component of what you're doing you you deliver hope for a living, which not many careers can say that, but it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing that you can say that with authenticity. Definitely. Now, what, what has been one challenge you faced as an attorney um, that you've overcome? Um, definitely imposter syndrome. Uh, I, 
you know, as a first generation college graduate, um, first generation um, professional, it was very difficult to navigate, right? How to get into college, how to get into law school. Um, and, you know, you always felt that you didn't fit in, right? Even when I was in undergrad, I came from an all girls Catholic high school where we were 60 girls, 60 girls graduated from the, from the high school to a classroom where it was like 300 students and the professor was speaking through a microphone. And I was like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. um, so that imposter syndrome was something that I always felt also in law school, right? Uh, I was sitting next to students that they are like fifth, sixth generation attorneys or their parents are judges, right? Or their parents are doctors, right? Um, and, and, and sitting there and thinking, you know, these are the cream of the crop, right? Like, the, you know, you're sitting next to the best of the best students. Um, and then also, you know, you have to take a step back, like overcoming that imposter syndrome is taking a step back and being like, I belong here. You have to be mm -hmm. kind of your own like hype woman. I always say, right? Or yes. your own cheerleader. Like, you know what? I actually belong here. Mm -hmm. I am just as good as these kids sitting, sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to do that by, you know, kind of like recognizing my own accomplish accomplishments, right? Uh, I was in court. I was in law review, right? Um, and and it was like this little Latina girl, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, that people didn't expect would be, but it's because I always tried my hardest, right? Like my counterparts maybe didn't, maybe, you know, it came more natural to them, but I knew I had to study maybe if somebody studied five hours, I had to study 10, you know, mm -hmm. but I just knew that I had to do a little bit extra than my, than my peers, right. To be where they were at. But because of that, like my worth ethic was mm -hmm. so much stronger, but you also have to be your own cheerleader. Like that's the way you overcome that imposter syndrome, like recognizing yes. your accomplishments, right. And kind of like giving yourself a pat on the back, like that was good. That was good. And it's yes. not that all the time, right? Because you're always like looking at your own flaws. Mm -hmm. But I had to do that. I had to like sit, take a step back and like recognize my own accomplishments and like give myself my own recognition. Like I did that. Like that was good. That mm -hmm. was good. good. Right. And I think a lot of us Latinas or or a lot of us people, people of color, first generations, like fail to do that. Right. And mm -hmm. our families, you know, we can thank our families for for being our cheerleaders, right, as well, because my mother and my father and my sisters were always my my biggest cheerleaders ever, right? Yes. Um, always so proud of me, but they were the ones that helped me overcome mm -hmm. that something I didn't belong, right? Like, they're like, yes. no, you worked hard to get here and you deserve this, right? So. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I think what you're describing in this in this section, when, when I'm listening to you about being your 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 own cheerleader. I think, you know, it's such a common phrase to hear the opposite of that. And you, you've probably, you've heard it. I've heard it. We've read it, but we've heard a friend or family members or even colleagues say, I'm my own worst critic, right? We heard that, or I'm my own worst enemy. And I'm like, right. what's the opposite of those things? Because if so many people say that they're, own, they're, they're, they're their own worst critic, then yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm my own best praiser, you know, like, or I'm my own best cheerleader or um, the opposite of the worst enemy. I'm my own best friend. Like I, you know, you said pat on the back, you know, words of affirmation, encouraging self, good, you know, congratulating self or, or work well done. 
Um, I love the notion because, because I know it's such a rare cultivated um, practice. I know there's great power in using it and not being our worst critic, but being our best cheerleader. So I, I love that notion as well as um, your, the, the family members, having people in your corner that are going to reaffirm that voice of the cheerleader, as you mentioned with your sisters telling you that you did belong. Like, yes, you tell yourself I belong, but then you also have people in your circle that are encouraging you along the way that you do belong um, in this space of uh, whether that was in law school or as an attorney. So I think I, I love those lessons. Definitely. I feel like we need to do a better job of creating that culture. And I'm still, I'm still learning, right. I'm still kind of learning as I go and I trying to like give myself kudos as well, but mm -hmm. um, it's something that, you know, it's kind of like taboo sort of, right. Um, that we're, we're mostly our worst enemies, but I think that's one way that I was able to kind of overcome that imposter syndrome. And, and unfortunately I feel like a lot of Latina attorneys or people of color, right. First generations, like, encounter that throughout their career and mm -hmm. now I'm kind of overcoming that and I'm kind of seeing like the attorney that I can really be right by overcoming that and yes. I'm like right <laughs> mm -hmm. yes no you know you know one of the reasons that it, it's it's when I think about the human experience how it's easy to talk about so I think about two extremes right there's like the the, the extreme of you know, criticizing everything that I do, and then there's praising everything I do, and and I, and we're, you and I, I'm sure we're we're certainly not talking about arrogance, but there's something about being able to share a success story, and the purpose behind why you or I will share something that we've done that's successful is not to say, hey, I'm bragging and boasting, hey, this is all about me, but whenever I'm sharing a success story, I, I love this this notion where it's I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm right. saying this to impress the principles that helped me achieve this. And if you could understand the principles that helped me to get this, then you could have some of the same success in your world and your own life. But I, but I think even as you mentioned, um, we can grow in this even as a Latinx community. I, I'm 100% with you um, because sometimes I think the, the, those, those people who achieve that remarkable success don't share it because they're saying, I don't want to come across as bragging or boasting. But then right. the story stays hidden. And then we don't, and how else are we going to help each other if we don't know what you've done and how you did it so we can do the same things and have some of the same success? Exactly. And uh, I'm very thankful to be in the field that I am, right? Mm -hmm. In the immigration community, we're, we're very much um, about helping each other, right? Um, I don't think it's like that in other fields of law, really. But at least in the immigration community, we always have our clients' best interests at heart. So we're always trying to help each other network, right? And, and kind of boost each other up, right? Um, you had some, uh, a colleague of mine, Raisa, on your podcast not too long mm -hmm. ago, um, but she's amazing at that. Um, she is, you know, she had a, her firm open before my firm and I went to her for advice and, you know, she was always willing to help and, and give me advice on what to do, what not to do, right? What has worked for her, what's not worked for her. Um, and even in law school, we actually went to the same law school. Um, oh, wow. In law school, yeah. In law school, she um, she was a, a year ahead of me. And she was also like, I remember for bar prep, she sent me her bar material. Here's all the bar material that I used. 
Um, mm-hmm. Feel free to use it however you want to use it, right? Um, and and it it was just so nice to have that sisterhood, really. Um, yes. Looking, we, she was looking out for me, and you know, any in any instance, if she ever needs my help, I'm always willing to help her as well. You know, but in the in our community, in the immigration community, we're very much like that, where um, we can call a colleague up and and just be like, you know, I'm stuck on this case, or I need help with marketing, or I need, you know, what are your ideas? What has worked for you? And we're always willing to help. And I think it's it's also that that our background, we're so passionate about what we do and and the community that we're serving that we want to help each other, right? Mm. We want to see each other succeed. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. I think that's great insight. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know that until you, it came out of, until you said it. Um, and, but it's, it's good to know um, because it, again, I, 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 you know, you could call it the vibrations of the universe. You could call it intuition, but I kept sensing something special about the immigration component of law that I know, I know passionate people kind of invigorate me and get me energized. Um, and I think um, that's another component. I think the selflessness that's involved in that arena of law, that it, I can see how it very much becomes a synergy where you're striving to help each other to be successful. And, and, if, and if Raisa is able to listen to this part of the podcast, well done that another attorney is able to praise you when you're not in the room about how you are selfless and looking out for other people. I think that's what we all want to be for one another. I just think that's a, that's a beautiful thing, Raisa. So if you hear this part of the interview, if, if when I post this one this one uh, little clip here, I'll, I'll be sure to tag you, Raisa, um, for for a job well done in in yes. supporting the sisterhood of of attorneys. She definitely um, has created a sisterhood within, like not just me, but also like other Latinas. She would see a Latina and she'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna help you," <laughs> and that's something that you know she's been blessed. You know, I feel like that's a quality that uh, we we I, I strive to have too, right? Is help our our community out instead of putting each other down, right? Like mm-hmm. my success is your success, and and I was able to see that through her, the way that she carries herself, and she's been very successful because of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I love that that notion is because we can with 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 a uh, a flawed perspective we can see people as threats or as, as competition, you know, as, Hey, I'm trying to beat you. And, and, you know, it's a, they call it like a zero sum game that if I win, that means you lose, or if you win, that means I lose as opposed to we could all, we could all win together. And there's ways where we could create these win-win synergistic relationships. And that's what I'm hearing that you're seeing in Raisa and, and I, and you're seeing it as something that's admirable. Absolutely. Now, what has been the best way to market your law firm? Um, definitely word of mouth, right? I am very um, confident in the fact that I do good work and my good work, um, my clients are going to be able to recognize it and they are going to refer me to other clients. So definitely word of mouth has been one of the ways that I have been able to advertise my firm. Also um, networking with other attorneys so other attorneys, you know, they might not have um, the capacity to represent people right now, or they have a more um, complicated case. They are maybe more transactional immigration attorneys, right? And I'm more of a removal trial um, trial attorney. I have more experience in court. Uh, I was in court almost every day for the first two years that I practiced. So I'll partner with attorneys that don't have that experience. Um, 
and help them in, in that way, right? Mm -hmm. It will partner or they'll just refer the case out to me. So having that strong network, even within your own colleagues has helped me as well to, to grow my firm. And also I'm just getting into social media because I was never really, I was very a very private person. Um, and everybody, all my colleagues were like, you have to get on social media. Mm -hmm. Do it, Catherine. It's going to be great. You're going to do great. Just mm -hmm. do it. And um, I've done it. I mean, I've been trying to do more of it and it has been right. I've connected with people that I, I didn't think I would be able to connect with. You know, people find me on Facebook, on Instagram, um, family and friends um, share my posts and stuff like that. And then I have clients call me in that way. And then a lot of people are, I'm advertising free consultations right now. So a lot of people are taking advantage of these free consultations, especially right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like people are being very careful with their money. So they're taking advantage of the fact that I'm offering free consultations, but that, um, that has definitely been something that I've been taking advantage of. I'm still very new at it. I'm still kind of learning how to navigate the whole social media world because it's kind of its own its own world and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very new, but I have friends that have kind of been helping me, um, mm -hmm. are not particularly immigration attorneys, but are more involved in the social media world and it's been helpful. So I'm learning as I go, but definitely those have been the platforms or the ways that I've been advertising the firm. Yes. I, I love the, 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 the concepts. And plus, I mean, if you weren't on social media, you and I probably wouldn't be in an interview right now. So you, your presence <laughs> on social media, somehow, some way we've connected. I forget how and we, we came across each other's uh, profiles, but, but even that, you know, your presence there empowered you to be able to uh, be on the podcast um, today. And I want to highlight something you said, though, about colleagues, even that perform the same area of law that 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 uh that you do i think that's a interesting detail that i've yet to heard again i've interviewed probably 25 30 other law firm owners i asked this question about marketing and i think you're the first one to talk about um the 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 benefit of networking with other attorneys who do the same law as opposed to attorneys who do different law who you could refer one another to um, um and i think there's something i think unique about that because again back to um, maybe like the insight of the solution is hidden in plain sight because a law firm owners are asking this question, how do I get more clients? You know, and, and so I asked this question to law firm owners because so, I want to get all the ideas so that they're all available to everyone. And as you shared that, I think that's another insight for the attorney, the, the attorneys listening in to know that, yes, you can use social media. Yes, of course, you could do paid advertisement. Yes, network with, with attorneys who do different areas of law, but also um, Catherine's also giving us a new insight, which is also networking with Pete, with other attorneys who do the same area of law as you. And you might find that as an additional referral source that you did not expect. So anyway, I, I love that, that, that perspective and insight. I think it's going to help a lot of people out there. I definitely, I don't, I didn't think that was going to be a way that I was able to expand my, my or grow my firm at all but I think it was just also having those positive relationships with other attorneys right like I have other attorneys call me for special appearances or right when they don't have capacity or um, right when when they just need an extra hand on something right and and it's been great because I'm also able to learn from them right I'm also yes. I partner also with attorneys that have been practicing for years, right? And 
And to be able to work with them is, is amazing because, you know, they're like, I don't have the capacity or I'm, you know, I don't have the time to do writing right now, but, you know, I have the time to do writing. I love to write. I love research and writing was, was one of the things that I, I really enjoy doing. Um, and, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. But then I'm also working with a seasoned attorney that's had 20, 40 years of experience. And now we're going to be working together on a case where um, he's, he's going to be able to, you know, review my work, right, give me feedback. And I'm able to do this even as a solo practitioner. I'm not working at a big firm where, you know, mm-hmm. you can bounce off ideas of one another. Um, but I'm able to do that as a solo practitioner, which is a, a really big advantage, I believe. Hmm. You know, um, I I love that you mentioned capacity, and I think that's that's something that's crucial. Any business owner to understand, especially if you're in a service oriented industry, like as you are, um, as an attorney, as I am, as a coach, like. And I was talking to um, one of my mentors about this this past week, and we were t- I was sharing like the idea that being intimidated or threatened by my competition seems to make no sense at all. The more I, I venture down this road. And the reason I, I'm, I'm going to share that is because what you just said, because my, my competition, other coaches that do what I do, other, um, you know, other business coaches, other life coaches that do what I do, like they have a capacity. They can't take, they literally can't take on a million clients. I mean, <laughs> even in my own world, I, I literally have a one-on-one capacity of 24 clients. So once I'm at 24, I can't, I literally don't have any other time. So yeah. anybody who's ever intimidated, any other coach who's listened or who's another business coach who listens in to, to this and thinks, oh, like to be threatened by what I do. Nope. Like once I'm at 24, all the other clients that want me as their one-on-one coach, I'll have to send them somewhere else. But I think you captured that with, you just don't know the capacity of your competition and they do have a capacity and there's only so many clients they can take and they would probably love to have a great referral source. They can send other clients to that. They have great relationships that you mentioned, or they have um, trust in their competence as well. So anyway, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm hearing that from you um, when it comes to capacity that sometimes we don't think we are so busy being threatened by our competition. We don't realize they have a capacity too. And, and that might just be a referral source that's hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so many um, people in need of immigration attorneys in the greater Los Angeles area. There's just absolutely no way that one or two firms can represent everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, not, that's one thing that I always say. I was like, there's enough clients to go around for everybody. Right. Um, yes. So I, I'm all about like encouraging my other um, colleagues, right. And their success. And when they succeed, like, or when they're, they're having, you know, um, a, a good month or, or a good year, right. Like kudos to them. Like that's, that's not, I don't see it as competition, but I see it more of like, Oh, well, what, what did you do? Right. It's kind of like a learning lesson to me. Well, what did you do to, to, to hit those numbers this month? Right. Like what, what was, what was the key that you used? Right. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a learning experience for me as well. Yes, yes. Power to you. Now, what advice, if anything different, what advice would you offer someone just starting their career as an attorney? I would definitely tell them to just always keep your client's best interests at heart, even when you are working for a firm, right? Um, I think that's the one thing that 
I learned through experience and also through some of my mentors, right? Um, when you're working for a firm, it's kind of easier to kind of get lost in, you know, trying to like be the best associate, right? And, and hit certain numbers or something like that. But at the end of the day, as you're representing these clients, it's their best interest at heart. And I think that's why I opened up my own firm, right? Because I always wanted to do maybe something different, right, for a client, or I thought there was a strategy for a case that was a little bit different than what my supervising attorney believed in, right? Um, and But they were, they had been practicing for 20, 30 years, right? So that's just the way that they did things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard for them to kind of mold or, or change their, their perspective or the way that they usually do things. But now as my own business owner, I'm able to sit down and look at a case and be like, okay, this is going to be plan A, this is going to be plan B, this is going to be plan C. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm able to, to navigate through a case the way I want to navigate through a case. But that's because like my, my goal in my firm or my mantra, I guess, in my firm would be that I'm always going to keep my client's best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if that means that I need to kind of change my strategies or my comfort zone, right, then I'm going to go ahead and change it because it's the best thing for my client. Maybe not the most comfortable thing for me to do, right? Like maybe I have to do some new type of application or a new type mm -hmm. of a form of relief or maybe put on a different type of case in front of the judge, right? But that I haven't done before. But if that's the best thing that's going to help my client, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. Yes. I can totally see how that builds long-term loyalty. When you, you, you are able to continually think about their best interest, their best interest, their best interest. You know, even for any, any professional out there, especially when they're growing their business, when you're early on, you know, I want to talk to the listeners who are business owners, you know, when you're early on in business building, all you want is clients. Like you just want them to come to you, you want them to come to you. And you, and you could see people and think, okay, well, I want them to be, to be my client. You could see what they can do for you or what's, you, what's best for you. But just what, what, what Catherine's sharing here, I think it's, it's such a vital tool to begin as much as you can to program your mind to think about them. As Catherine's saying, thinking about her clients over and over, what's best for them, what's best for her clients. And, and, and thinking that over and over again, and I think Zig Ziglar has a quote when, he, when he, he expressed that if you will help enough other people get what they want, you have people lining up to get what you want. You, you have other people who really want to help you get what you want as well. Um, so I, I love the, the insight to what's best for the clients. I think that's a great uh, perspective and a mindset to keep. Um, to, to, that's going to continue to elevate you in your success. Yes. And hopefully bringing more referrals in. Right. I feel like people see when you're like, or your clients see when you're so invested in their, in their case or in their, in their best interests. And they are the ones to just be like, you know, that, I mean, I love getting referrals where it was like, Oh, you know, you help my, my mom or you help my sister or you help my uncle. Right. Um, and they love, they loved you. Right. So, and th those are the best, the best referrals, right. Because they already come to you with that confidence, right. They already mm -hmm. come with trusting you, right. Trusting that you're going to do a good job. Yes, yes, yes. The, the next question I have for you, Catherine, is what has helped you establish work-life balance as an attorney? Definitely setting boundaries, right. Uh, I, 
I'm very much of the opinion that I like my clients to feel like family, but even for family, we need boundaries sometimes, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm definitely an advocate of setting boundaries, especially now as a business owner, it's, it, it's just better to just set your own boundaries, right? Like I try not to work on weekends, although sometimes I do. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a deadline, I, I mean, I ha I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. But and it also happens when you work for other firms, right? I when I was working at, at the first two firms that I worked for, it was very heavy removal defense. And I was, for some reason, <laughs> my boss decided to put me in the head of all the trials that were taking place in the firm. So I was doing maybe three to four trials a week at one point, which is a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. for a new attorney. Um, so I was working all weekend, <laughs> all weekend long, just preparing, right? Preparing for the weeks uh, mm -hmm. of trial. Um, so that that was exhausting. And then the burnout rate is ridiculous, right? So that's one of the things that as I became a business owner, I was like, okay, well, I need to set my own boundaries and not work on the weekends, right? Or stop working at a decent time, like six or seven. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely one of the things that helped me is kind of sit down and be like, okay, this is a little too much and I'm starting to feel the burnout and I really need to set boundaries and really mm -hmm. kind of stick to your own boundaries because it's very easy to get a phone call and be like, oh, well, I'll just take the phone call. Um, but if anything, you know, if they call me more than once, right, I'll maybe send a message like, I'll get to you on Monday or is this an emergency? What's your question, right? Um, and then clients... I think at that point really get the get the point right and they'll they'll be respectful um mm -hmm. and if they don't right like just kind of set the boundary that you're going to call them back on monday <laughs> mm -hmm. yes um i think i think those are great insight the boundaries um especially for um the, that work-life balance finding time to rest recharge replenish and uh and being able to um to say no. And, and, and I think that that's always, um, again, as a, as a business owner, I, I get it. Like I, uh, um, my wife will co come in or ask me about, have I eaten, you know, and have I rested? And I'm like, especially when you're passionate about what you do, it's like, oh, well, I'm kind of getting replenished from the work, but, but then sometimes, but also realize that something that doesn't count, you know, that doesn't count as actual <laughs> rest and to be recharged so that we can be our best. And as you mentioned that you, you got, every business owner has to be mindful of that burnout because um, we, no business owner that I know wants to have a, an, an early stroke or an early heart attack or, or a stroke ever or, or a heart attack at all. Um, but mm -hmm. without that proper rest on an ongoing basis, that's kind of the road you're heading on if you don't figure out how to have the boundaries for the work-life balance that we all need. Exactly. And I think in the immigration community, what we run into a lot is vicarious trauma, right? Mm -hmm. um, we take our work home, right, um, with us. And it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's our, I mean, our, the line of work that we do is very difficult, especially under this um, administration, right? We all survived the Trump administration. I want to get us, <laughs> I think we need t-shirts that say you survived <laughs> as an immigration attorney um, because things were changing from one day to another, you know, and it was exhausting. So to have that time, you need to have that, that time to kind of recharge and replenish and, and do things that distract you from your day to day, because that can be 
it's traumatic. It's trauma that you carry with you. And I don't think we speak about it enough, um, but it's something that's very real. The vicarious trauma is, is very real and something that I really thought it was, I realized how real it was like my first year in, right? When I couldn't win a case or, um, you know, I had been writing a declaration with a victim of domestic violence, right? For a U visa. And, and, you know, just listening to these stories and having coming home, I mean, coming home, carrying that, you know, um, that was, I could just feel my energy just drained, yes. right? And, and drained and, and exhausted. But then the next day I had to put on a full trial, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very, very exhausting. But I think it was very, a, a good learning experience as well, right? Because I was able to adjust right and and still get get on my feet and be able to to go ahead and do that right have a have a declaration one day and then have a trial the next day and be able to do that but i don't think it's it's advised right so we definitely have to figure out a way to just disconnect and sometimes that's like watching a funny like i i don't like to watch anything too serious on mm-hmm. netflix or you know on you know i don't like i watch documentaries I, i'll do that but i have to be like mentally prepared to watch like mm-hmm. a very serious documentary because if not like what i really want to be watching is like some something funny right something that will just kind of take me away from my reality or from you know the client that i had to do the declaration with mm-hmm. the before right yes that's a that's actually um one of the tools i've I've read about in the the happiness advantage where sean aker he's like a happiness specialist like a social psychologist he talks about that idea of of having those moments um whether it's watching a funny show um it's it you know chemically gives us a uh um a a it it does replenish us you know and, and it refuels us um to get that comedic break you know, from our serious, you know, our serious life. And even the phrase you used was um, vicarious trauma. That's actually the first time I recall ever hearing those two words next to each other, vicarious trauma. And it makes 100% sense, especially in the line of attorneys, um, because sometimes you, 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 you as attorneys face um, some of the worst parts of life, some of the ugly of life on an ongoing basis and, you, and being mindful of that vicarious trauma that uh, you can you can carry home with you. I think that's uh, um, really helpful to, to hear and learn about and to be aware of um, with, with yourself and then for me to be able to pass that on to other attorneys as well. Yeah, definitely need to be mindful of it because I think it just, it happens without you knowing that it's happening. And then I don't, I don't think I knew it was happening until somebody told me to like, Oh, well, what you're experiencing, Catherine, is vicarious trauma. That's why you are sad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just had to deal with a very sad situation, right? And then it, it also it also kind of makes you feel like, well, what am I complaining about when my client suffered years of domestic violence and then was able to bring her three kids, her three little kids while she's pregnant, right, to the United States all by herself, I was like, I have nothing to complain about at all. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's also, we also have to kind of detach ourselves from that type of thinking as well, because their, their trauma, right, is different. You know, everybody's experience is different, right? And Mm -hmm. although it has helped me be very grateful for the position that I'm in, right, I can't kind of compare what I'm going through to what they have gone through, right? Because the the trauma that they experienced was up to here but i'm also a strong believer that everybody is given right 
you're never given anything you can't handle, right? Mm-hmm. She was given her struggles, but she because she could handle it. And I've met some of the most amazing and strong women doing the line of work that I've done, that I do. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, you you captured this this concept that that I think is is valuable to highlight when you described. Um, sometimes it can make the way I heard you describe it it can make you almost dismiss your own problems because they're so small in comparison to, oh, like, well, this problem that I'm facing is small compared to what they're facing and to not allow self to process the problem and feel what you're feeling, whether that's whatever negative emotion that might be, might be fear, worry, doubt, insecurity, um, but to be okay with having problems and, 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 and not dismissing the feelings and the emotions that accompany those small problems just because they're not as big as some of the, you know, your clients, but I think um, being okay with internalizing your own problems without dismissing them as being too small to be legitimate because every, every problem is, is legitimate. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, it takes a, a, a skill to be able to, to, to do that, but you know, trial and error. <laughs> I figured it out when I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Like that's not, that's not healthy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Yes. And I think there's a, there's a reason that, that I, um, I, there's a market for my business in, you know, working with um, uh, high end professionals who have a lot of pressure and high expectations and demands on them. Um, because you know, that's something I try to look out for is that the emotional well-being, that emotional mindset that helps people to be successful um, and to have that objective perspective to, you know, encourage people to process the problems that they're having. And to be okay with that and not, um, and not deflecting the emotional um, weight that comes with their problems because they don't measure up to the mo- emotional weight of the problems of their clients. So, um, and so, um, so I'm, great, I'm grateful. I'm, again, I'm not grateful that they face problems, but I'm grateful to be able to uh, help provide um, support and solutions also in that space. Of course, we need, we need you guys as well. I had a life coach for the first year that I was practicing and she was amazing as well <laughs> I think mm-hmm. she, she really helped me get or she actually helped me process a lot of what I'm telling you as well or identify at least identify and be mindful of what was going on because I had no clue at all <laughs> mm-hmm. and and what is the the best advice you received about being an attorney um I would think um, I think I answered the question did you? Okay, we'll go to the next one. I did, <laughs> note to myself, I'll edit this, this one out as well. Okay, um, I think I said, I, I, uh, putting clients first. Okay, very good. Um, okay. my, my, uh, let me see. Next one we have is, if someone was listening that could do anything to support you and your law firm, what would that be? It would definitely be sharing, right? My post. Um, giving my number to a loved one, right? That they that they really that are really struggling either with their immigration case or just have questions about their immigration case, right? I've had a lot of clients, unfortunately, that have gone to notarios, right, which are notaries, um, and just had very 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 bad experiences. Um, unfortunately, I've had clients that they've gone to a notario because they were more affordable, and really it just messed up their entire case right Mm. and now 
we're kind of have where we have to fix those errors and it's it's a lot more difficult to fix errors versus if they would have gone to a competent attorney in the beginning right and then we could have and they had a viable form of relief i think that's the worst when someone comes to you and they had a viable form of relief but then they went to somebody that is not an attorney and they didn't know how to navigate the immigration system and then completely just messed up their their case right and it's just very difficult to go to to fix errors versus going to someone that is competent in the beginning so if they have if somebody has a loved one that you know is struggling or has questions i would really appreciate it they gave you my number because that's one of my things as well that i want to educate our community and my number is 323-673-0518 and question for you on that because um I know you, so you're in California. So do you, are you able to help from other states as well? I know some, some people have told me that immigration sometimes is federal. I, again, I, I, you help me to understand that. Are you able to help clients from other states as well? Or how does that work for you? Yes. Yeah, so because we practice immigration, I can practice anywhere in the country. So long as my practice is immigration alone, right? Um, Although in California, I can practice any type of law because I'm licensed in California, um, but I can practice anywhere. I'm actually helping um, some children do their DACA application for the first time because DACA is back, which is a mm-hmm. big victory for our immigration community. Um, so I'm actually helping some, some kids in New Jersey, right? Like they just graduated high school. They qualify for DACA. They're so excited that now they're going to be able to have a work permit, right? And a social security number and stop living in the dark, right? Because this is what has happened in, in our immigration community that Unfortunately, a lot of our, our, our you know, our, the immigrant community live in the dark their whole life, right? They don't have social securities. They don't, um, they don't have even proper identification cards or driver's license, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now with this, they'll be able to get, to get even a driver's license, right? A yes. work security number. So it's like giving them, empowering them to take control of their own life. And, and fortunate, unfortunately, right, a lot of these people that live in the dark are contributing members to society, right? Some of them, you know, they get the IT numbers and they, um, they pay taxes. They've been taxpayers <laughs> in their whole life that they've been here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that is definitely an advantage that we have as immigration attorneys that we can help anybody in any part of the country. Yes. All right. Good to know. Very great insight there. Now, the last question I have for you, Catherine, is what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? My favorite person in the whole entire world is my mother. Her name is Esperanza. And unfortunately, she passed away seven years ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Thank you. Um, But she was my heart. And she's the reason why I do what I do. Um, Well, I haven't gotten emotional like this in a very long time. I'm talking about my mother. but she was the most kind person ever. And the best, that was the best quality that she had. Um, she always told me to treat everybody I encountered with kindness. You know, she was a janitor for years. She worked from 6 a.m. 6 p.m. to like 2 to 3 p 3 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. right? As I was a child. Um, and seeing how how hard she worked and how she treated everybody with kindness, no matter who they were or where they came from. 
um, I've always, that's how I lead my life, right? No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, um, I'm always going to treat anybody with kindness. And that's been kind of like my life motto. And it's, and it's something that I learned from my mother. And another thing that I learned from my father and my sisters, right, is worth ethic. My, I always said my mom is my angel and my dad is my rock, right? My, my worth mm-hmm. ethic. I definitely got that from my sisters and my father that, you know, there was, I don't think there's ever an, an obstacle too big to overcome for us. Mm. I was always pushing to, to make sure we did better. Right. Like, and I think I've always done that in my sisters as well. We're all always overachievers, right. Once you accomplish one thing, it's like, okay, what's the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, graduated law school. I passed the bar. I'm working at a firm. Like what's the best, what's the next, what's my next step? What's my next game plan? Right. I'm going to open my own firm. Right. Um, so it's always, you know, my worth ethic and always striving to, to be better, do better. And also to live a meaningful life by helping our community. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that I also live by that we're put on this earth, I think, to make it a little bit better than what it was like when we got here. Mm -hmm. And that's like really fulfilling our purpose, right. Being here. And that's what I strive to do, but I definitely learned that from my mother. Mm-hmm. I love that. Those are uh, precious qualities about um, incredible people. Um, I love hearing the memories you have of your mom and the impact she had on you with her example and also her message, her, her constant messaging to you about the importance of being kind, as well as the work ethic of your um, of your of your dad and of your sisters and. Um, and I, and I like that description you used as well, that, that there's no obstacle too big. But it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to hear somebody talk with such um, admiration about their family. And if they're listening to this part of the podcast, I always want to communicate to you, you all, um, to the sisters and, and the dad, a phenomenal job. She's uh, Catherine lights up talking about you. And it, it, was a, it was a great blessing hearing her talk so favorably about the impact you all have had on her. Um, Catherine, I want to thank you once one more time for, for joining me on the Strong Life Coach podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I also want to thank you and give you kudos for highlighting the Latina population because we are 2% of the lawyers or the, yeah, the lawyer population. And I really give you kudos for highlighting us and giving us the space, right? And it's like, that's one of the things that I've been hearing a lot lately, lately, right? Like we need to take up space and you've created a space to, for us to tell our stories. Mm. And I really appreciate that you're doing that. Awesome. Hey, I, I love it. I love it. It's, it's been a, it's been a privilege. It's been a, it's been a, uh, um, it's been such a fun time. I'm telling you, uh, every, every conversation has been special. And I think I'm, I feel like I'm getting so much more than what, what I, than the space I'm creating for you all. But but I'm I'm happy to do it and it's it's in uh and I'm excited to see where this whole journey uh, goes, um, but yes, uh, thank you for that encouragement. That was really uh, uh really sweet of you to share with me. I did not see that one coming. <laughs> um, but podcast listeners, I want to again encourage you to do it. I'm gonna put um, Catherine's information in the show notes so you get a chance to connect with her, follow her, support her, and and share her her messaging. Um, and, and so more people can know about the great work she's doing in the immigration community, um, striving to make a positive impact. Of course, you're listening to the Strong Life Coach podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Go over to the Apple Podcast app, give us a five-star review, 
Remember to subscribe and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.